They want NWA? Let's give them NWA. Who are those guys? And then there's the other guys. We're the other guys. We're the guys nobody ever bets on. Following program is intended for mature audiences. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. It's time for the Other Alliance Guys podcast with your hosts, Tim, Dave, and Jeremy. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and what can we tell you? It is time for another episode of the Other Alliance Guys, a broadcast of alliance-wrestling.com, your number one source for news and information around the National Wrestling Alliance the United Wrestling Network, and various independents around the world. My name is Tim. I'm joined by the boys, Dave, Scooby, and Jeremy, and fighting out of the great city of Montreal in the Belle Provence of Quebec, Canada. He weighs in, although he looks a little slimmer, at 320 pounds. He's a Montreal Mastodon. He's the former NWA, British Commonwealth and NWA North American champion, and a couple of other NWA titles. He's Drew Onyx. How are you, my friend? What's up, guys? How you doing? I'm all right. Good to hear. Good to hear. That's an intro, eh? I had to get a mic. I'm telling you. I'm going to use you on my shows. <laughs> How are those shows going? They're going very well. We just had one last Sunday, full capacity, yeah. high energy. Everybody uh, busted their asses, and uh, we provided some good entertainment. Yeah, it's good. I saw the pictures. They looked like it was packed there, so that's uh, that's amazing. Yeah. We, uh, yeah. We're going to spend the first hour of our show with, uh, with Drew today. Uh, we got a bunch of people in the chat right now, so speak up your questions for, for Drew. We got uh, Willie's in the house right now. Willie's always uh, in the house. That's great. Uh, Sam Retro's here. What's up, Sam? Good to see you, my friend. And our old friend, Dodi Cusamanto. Can we make a petition to Billy to bring Drew Onyx to the NWA? I'm all for that. Um, we, uh, what do you think, Drew? You want to head back to the National Wrestling Alliance? For sure. Uh, I'd love to have an opportunity to go back to the National Wrestling Alliance. It's uh, one of the favorite uh, promotions growing up watching and also being a part of. Uh, it was my mission statement when I first started as a professional wrestler that uh, the only thing that I had on my bucket list, I had two. One to wrestle in England and one to pick up an NWA heavyweight championship. So. It was definitely a directive, and I think I still got more gas in the tank, and I wouldn't mind another shot. Yeah, you know, we uh, we have been tweeting at the NWA and at Tyrus to give you a shot at the 10 pounds of gold because he has he's like 36 on the list of total days as champion out of, I don't know, 50, how many champs we got, 58, something like that, and he has had okay. zero title defenses. Really? And, yeah, it's different, and I want to talk to you about that at some point today about what happened with you with with the United Kingdom Championship and how there was a a rule at the time. I'm I'm going to guess in the Ernie Todd Bob Trobich era where you had to defend your titles every 30 days. And yeah, yeah, you know, that was mandatory, uh, yeah. and uh, it had to happen. And if uh, you couldn't, you had to go on tour, or if not, they would strip you for the title. So. It was imperative for uh, all the champions to be fighting champions, uh, to be able to defend the belts, and to uh, and to promote both, you know, uh, Hammerlock, the NWA, and yourself. So that was right. the criteria. I don't know what the situation is now. I know that the NWA currently is going through a rebirth. Uh, you know, it's a birthing process, and 
you know, who's who knows what's happening with management and the direction they want to go. But, uh, you know, he's in the top position right now as the champion, and I'm looking forward to see what he does with it. Yeah, yeah, I guess we're, we just want him to do something. That'll, that'll be great. Yeah. But don't get yourself uh, blocked. Don't get yourself blocked tweeting trying to get me on, eh? Oh, no, no, not at all. We're, we are gentlemen on this program above all else. That's cool. Uh, Willie asks, uh, could you ask Drew, have you ever, have, has he ever wrestled Jack Stane, Mustang Mike, while he was North American heavyweight champion? No, never had the opportunity. But I knew I knew of him, and that would have been a cool matchup. But that would have been something I would have enjoyed. Just before I, I let the boys get in here and do some talking, because yeah. I'm I'm, uh, I'm uh, taking over the thing. The boss himself, Jake House, says, please tell Drew that Jake House says thanks for all support, his support all those years ago. Yeah, Jay's the madman from day one when he had his uh, before he had his podcast, he had a page, and I was always hit it up. I'd always promote it, always check it. Yeah, yeah props awesome. to him. I hope all is well with him. Yeah, he's uh, he's doing good. He's got a bunch of kids out there in California, and uh, the alliance is growing every day, as as we are, you know, proof of with with this little show that we do. So uh, why don't we start off with some some of the questions? Uh, I sent the list around to the guys. I made a little list. So yeah, it's, it's very professional, polished podcast that we do here. Each day. <laughs> Love it. So uh, I don't know who wants to start. Uh, Jeremy, how about you? You want to fire off some questions to Drew? Yeah. So um, I'm not too. I, I wasn't too familiar with your work beforehand, so I went back and, and familiarized myself. And I got to say, man. Your crowds, top notch, bro. I mean, cool. just the energy that they bring to it. I mean, when you came out, that crowd went nuts, and I just it was it was refreshing to see because that's not something that we really get here a, a whole lot in the states. You know, the chants and. There was people screaming on one side, and they'd finish screaming, and the person would scream on the other side, and there was Ghostbuster chants, and just, I was blown away by it, man. I just, are all the crowds up there like that? Pretty much. First of all, uh, you know, I have to give props to the crowds that come to the Torture Chamber Pro Wrestling shows. Um, they're invested. They interact with the, with the performers. Uh, we try to give them 110% to the crowd and the crowd acknowledges that. And uh, overall, uh, most shows, you know, even outside of my promotion, Montreal fans are naturally rambunctious. They love a good fight, whether it be in hockey, mixed martial arts, boxing and pro wrestling. And they automatically get inv invested uh, as soon as they see that the participants in the ring is giving 110%. So, uh, you know, we've been promoting since 2013 strongly. Well, we've been promoting since 2005, but then we stopped and then we started again from 2013 on. So we've built a, a fan base that that uh, acknowledges the style of wrestling that we have. It's traditional. It's a good guy versus bad guy. Um, I tried to pattern uh, the promotion outlook from, you know, from the stuff that I watched from the NWA, you know, the early 80s to 90s. Um, All Japan Pro Wrestling uh, 1990 as far as the storylines is the contention of titles is to try to be the number one number two contender of course we have outside storylines but for the most part it's inside the ring and we try to give them 110 percent 
I love to hear that. That yeah, that's that's what would that that's the wrestling that 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 I grew up with and the kind of style of wrestling that I just hold dearly, you know. So to to hear that and, and to see that crowd and the way that they reacted to everything and what you guys were doing in the ring was was just yeah. I love to see it, and, and I, I'd, I'd love to make it across the border to, to get to one of your shows for sure. Anytime. Anytime. You let me know. Make the trek. And uh, if you never had poutine, we'll, we'll, we'll feed you some poutine. We'll, I have not had poutine. I had it today, Jeremy. It's the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did find a place here in the Springs that serves it, but I want to have I want to have actual Canadian poutine. So yeah. And Canadian beer. Make sure you I get the boat. I don't drink, so. All right. Well, that's, that's all good. Uh, we'll find something. We'll find something. That's yeah. not going to be an issue. Jay yeah. wants to hear the catchphrase noise. Oh, is that <laughs> yes. what he's looking for? <laughs> I think so. All right. uh, Dave, what do you what do you got for us, Dave? Uh, well, uh, Drew, I, I would like to say I did go on YouTube, uh, watch some matches that you had. Uh, looked you up online to see who you had wrestled. A lot of the names weren't familiar, but there were a few that I did recognize. Uh, PCO being one, also uh, Adam Pierce, uh, yeah. former, former uh, NWA champion, uh, Kevin Steen back in the day, and yep. Finn Balor. Now, yep. I've, I've seen Finn wrestle all different types. I mean, Bullet Club, that type of stuff. For a man his size, was it difficult for you to wrestle someone who was that undersized compared to you? No, not at all. Uh, first of all, Finn Balor is a, a pit bull. He's a monster. So, you know what I mean? When it comes to his wrestling ability, size doesn't matter. Uh, he'll give you 110%. And I like the whole David and Goliath story inside oh, yeah. the ring. So that's not an issue. And, uh, you know, they always say that when you're good friends outside the ring, you know, it's more violent inside or more intense. And that was definitely the case. In fact, we became better friends the more that we wrestled against each other. And, uh, yeah, never had an issue with this, uh, with this wrestling because, you know, it was just speed versus strength. It was just, you know, the movable object against the unstoppable force. And the crowd benefited and the crowd enjoyed it. You know, Dodie wants to know because he mentions this here rather. Uh, uh, under the uh, the son of Abdullah, the uh, So Amin challenging uh, the Sheik for the ten pounds of gold in two thousand eleven. Uh, yeah, you, I, I know you have some story you'll tell me off air one day about about it. And I'm not going to put you to tell you now, but no, I, 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 can, I can give you. I I can invest. I can give a little bit of the situation. Um, All right, there was, yeah, there was a, there was a time where, um, Adam Pierce, Adam Pierce and I, we battled for the, the championship, the, the British Commonwealth championship and he won it. And as soon as he won it, maybe two weeks later, he won the NWA world heavyweight title. So he had to, uh, vacate the British Commonwealth title. Now the British Commonwealth title wasn't being sent back to my promotion and, I was trying to get into contact with everybody in order to 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 get the title back. And uh, nobody was really paying me mine for whatever reason. And uh, I took that as disrespect. So 
I made it, I, I came to an ultimatum. I said that if I don't get my British Commonwealth Championship, I'm going to shoot on the Sheik and get the world. So that plan was going into effect. The promoters, they knew about it. They were down about it. Uh, one of my wrestlers that was upstairs was, had my bags packed. My brother was in a van waiting. Like we had everything set. You know, I even went, uh, I have a background in boxing and, and catch wrestling or submission wrestling. And for like two months, I just went there full time. And it was nothing against the sheep personally, but I just thought like, everybody's not paying me any mind. But if I just snatched the NWA title, the whole world is going to pay attention. And all I just really wanted was just the British Commonwealth championship back. And right. it was crazy. Cause even Kevin Steen, was uh, involved trying to get it back and he was like the mediator and not that there was anything bad it's just they weren't paying me no mind but kevin was going really out of his way to try to get the championship back so three days before we had the match with the sheik i got the title back so then the plans were just dashed and when i told the promoters of that show they're like well, still do it. I'm like, nah, man. <laughs> I was going to say, he's not yeah. very popular. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're like, yo, no, no, go go for it. It's going to be crazy. And I'm yeah. like, it wasn't really about that. And I didn't have anything. Uh, I didn't have an issue with the Sheik per se. Like, you know, uh, I respected him as a wrestler. Yeah. But I just wanted I just wanted my, my possession back. It's for the Federation, for me, whatever the case may be. So literally, uh, the, the match was Saturday. Wednesday, I got the title back. Kevin dropped it for me. And that was it. And, uh, yeah, so I was three days away of, uh, of trying to become the next NWA world champion. And without, as I say, uh, there probably are some, some old promoters who wish you had done that. In, in well, that's funny that you said that because yeah. I did not realize how much heat the Sheik had with the NWA. Do you understand what I'm saying? So yeah. I had, I had no idea, but anyways, that wasn't really my business and I wasn't, sure. you know, the, the only hesitation that I had was I felt like I would have been blackballed by the NWA forever. You know what I mean? And it wasn't really the path that I wanted to take, but those who know me um, concerning wrestling, like I try to be as honorable as possible. Your word is your bond. And if you mess with me, I will confront you. I'm not saying that I'll get into a physical altercation, but I will definitely try to rectify the situation. So, but I'm glad that didn't happen. But, uh, yeah, that's a story that I haven't told too many people about. Wow. Yeah, and to put some context into that, for those who don't know, that belt, uh, which now exists with you as, a, you know, its own uh, championship that continues on to this day yeah. uh, with your own promotion, that's a belt that you created and, and helped design with uh, Rico Mann and of uh, Parks Millican Mann. And that's a that's a piece of art that belt. Like it's not something that you could just walk away from and see you later. Yeah. Well, that's it. The there was never what people don't realize, and I'm dropping another uh, Easter egg. There was never an, an original British Commonwealth Championship prior to me. So what has happened? Uh, what has happened in the past was when the first champion Spider fought Finn Balor. Uh, they didn't have a physical belt. So one of the Florida promoters gave them an old Florida belt to use after the win. Right. So uh, Andre Baker, who was the uh, creator with Ernie Todd, Ernie Todd was uh, the promoter for CWF in Manitoba. And, um, and Andre Baker was the NWA uh, promoter for UK Hammerlock in England. They, they felt that the world title wasn't being, 
um, represented in their countries. They couldn't get their guys to have either opportunities just even to defend, I mean, to, to fight for that title or be the champion, though Andre had a, had, a, had a chance with one of his wrestlers. So they thought that if they created a championship that could be uh, defended throughout the Commonwealth, um, it, yeah, <laughs> that beauty. Yeah, you know, I'm the original over there. I might, I might bust it out. But um, if they, they felt that if they had that particular title to defend the title, it would work. So when Andre, Andre was the f- first one that mentioned to me, he's like, why don't you open and get your own NWA uh, territory. Right. So once he and Ernie Todd helped me get that, then they decided that okay, you'll be the you'll be the British Commonwealth champion because the title was vacated for whatever reason. So I fought uh, a gentleman from Australia in Manitoba at the 55th or 56th anniversary. Uh, the gentleman's name was Will Phoenix, and we fought for the British Commonwealth title. So uh, getting back to the creation of it. I wanted a title um, that was like worthy of a championship, not just because I was going to hold it, just because I'm a, I'm a fan. I really appreciate uh, championship belts yeah. and, and good quality ones. So I decided to uh, pattern it off uh, one of the old world-class yeah. uh, heavyweight championship. And I decided to uh, just add a few things that I thought was cool, uh, which was have the uh, flag in the outline of the country, as you see like that. Until then, nobody did that before. There was no artwork that had that type of, of graphics. And on the sides, I got all the Commonwealth. And another Easter egg was, uh, I'm from Barbados. So I made sure the Barbados uh, flag was there. And I'm a Canadian citizen. So that was my, my little ode to me. So, yeah. It's a, it's a thing of beauty. And this one doesn't do justice to anything that Rico Mann has uh, <laughs> made with his own hands and you designed. But I'm glad to have the the copy why the nwa for you growing up like i'm sure you were also a wwf fan uh as well but like what about the nwa you know that drew you in i know you were a horseman guy and you you enjoyed that period of time like what was it who were your favorites who were you following well what what i liked about the nwa before I even got to wrestling, or during the time I was watching wrestling, I was a big boxing fan. So, and I used to study boxing, all the former heavyweight champions from Joe Lewis, Rocky Marciano, Muhammad Ali, and, and on. And what always impressed me was, you know, even at a young age, I realized it was always about contention, the number one contender, the number two contender, the number three contender, and, and all that. And what I loved about the NWA, uh, and like I said, I was a kid watching uh, that the realism, all right. There was there was a realism to it. There was uh, a competitive nature. The storylines, once again, was inside the ring. You know, uh, if you were the U.S. champion, you were the number one contender to the world champion. You know, what I mean, there was there was just guys fighting just to be in the top ten, and I loved it. And I loved like the WWF. There was nothing wrong with it, but I found it more cartoony. Yeah. Whereas. You know, as as a young kid, I was like, "Well, WWF is fake, but NWA is real because it looks real." And there's blood, and there was guts, and the cage matches had a had a had a, such a realism to them, and it was just it had me hooked. Uh, some of my favorites: uh, Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair. Um, Dusty Rhodes' charisma, Ric Flair. He was the uh, you know such a professional. How he conducted himself inside, outside the ring. How he uh, put over. 
uh, his opponents that he was going to fight. Uh, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, the Rock and Roll Express. Jeez, uh, the Road Warriors, the Midnight Express. The list can go on, but just seeing that, like, just say the, the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express, I felt like, you know, the evil version of the Rock and Roll Express and, and how competitive the matches were, how uh, Dusty and, 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 and Ric Flair would go at it, how the Road Warriors and the Russians would go at it. It's just such an, a, realism, a realism and a believability that as, as, a, as a nine-year-old or a 10-year-old drew on it, seeing that, I was like, my God, that's the place I need to go to. Yeah, Jeremy, over to you. Uh, so the, um, the torture chamber, how did that come about? And, and who had, who, who has came through there that, that you've, that you've brought up that's made a, that's made an impact in the business so far? All right. Well, the reason why I wanted, uh, to put together the torture chamber pro wrestling was at first. I just wanted to have a, my own facility to train at. It was that, to get a couple of wrestlers that I, I knew or that I traveled with and wrestled. I was watching, uh, like I said, I'm a big fan of, uh, of boxing. And there was a, a gentleman, a boxer, Ricky Haddon from England. Yeah. And they were doing like, um, UFC has like a UFC countdown. And um, boxing has like all access where two competitors will be training and you'll see the training montage and, and setting up for the big match. So I was yeah. watching Ricky Haddon first versus somebody else. And I real and he, and he uh, dictated, he told that he had his own uh, wrestling gym and that floored me. I'm like, what? He has his own facility to train at. I need to get that. So that was the original. Then eventually more people and more people would come to me um, uh, to, to train. And then it became something, uh, even more. But what happened was I was wrestling for a promotion and they were using the school as a way to help fund the promotions. And they they, they asked me if I would, with uh, another uh, well-known independent uh, female wrestler, Lou Fisto, if we would get together and collaborate and do the school. So I wanted something as far as name-wise as like something like the snake pit from Wigan or, you know, Stampede had the dungeon or uh, just say um, Shamrock had the lion's den. So I just wanted something that automatically when you heard it, it'd make you stop. And I said, okay, uh, the torture chamber. So that, that was uh, originated in, in 2004 and we're still going. You, you oh, still uh, stay in contact with the Fisto? Yeah, uh, well, whenever I see her, she's very busy. Uh, we yeah. still have, you know, a good. We never fell out or anything like that. Um, uh, so when I do see her, I say hello. And to answer your question, um, I've sent within the last before the pandemic, uh, just in one year alone, I sent like about eight people for trials for WWE. I've sent people out for trials for uh, New Japan, uh, Marvelous Wrestling, TNA, um, but. Wow. To answer your question, there's two uh, wrestlers that um, that came through through our doors and we worked, or I went to go visit them. Um, well, for a couple, uh, Kevin Steen, uh, for to get ready for his tryout for the WWE, came to my school and we worked together for about a month and a half to get him uh, tryout ready. And as you know, he's one of the biggest stars in WWE. Uh, Brianna Brandy from Hit Row. Um, we we communicated. I went and visited her in the Dominican Republic and trained her there. Uh, she already had a tryout, but then uh, after the training, uh, she got signed. And then there's a gentleman uh, named Sidney uh, Eichmann. 
I can't no Sydney Bateman. Sydney Bateman. Uh, he's uh, he was wrestling in WWE as as Reggie. He had a background in uh, as an acrobat from the Cirque du Soleil, and he had a tryout. He came to my school. We worked together, and uh, he's there too. So those are the three most prominent people that have came to the school. But uh, I've trained more than easily three hundred students. I've done seminars from from Canada to the United States to Spain to England to Ireland. Um, so awesome. Uh, I, I had noticed, um, that it had listed that you trained at the, uh, new Japan pro wrestling dojo in LA. Yeah. What, what was that experience like is, I, I mean, wrestling is, is styles of wrestling That's that, that I, I mean, you have to adjust on the fly and if not you're you're left in the dust uh did you purposely wrestle it for or or at the dojo to learn a different style or just was it for the experience or that was a great question it's a combination of both um first how i got there was um we're at the 56th anniversary, uh, NWA anniversary, and I was fighting uh, Finn Balor, defending my title. And uh, there was representatives of TNA that was there and also of New Japan. Dave Marquez was there, and he saw our match. And after he saw our match, he invited us to the dojo. And I I went there uh, for the opportunity to, you know, to ply my trade, to learn a new trade, like a new style of wrestling, and see if I had an opportunity to go to, uh, to go to Japan to wrestle for the uh, New Japan Pro Dojo. So going there, it was an eye-opening experience because um, they run they run their wrestling school just like a Japanese dojo. It's 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 met with discipline, respect, uh, hard work, good ethics, um, and 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 you have to put put the work in. Sweat was the equity. So, you know, like just to give you a, a normal day, you get up at like maybe seven o'clock and you just fill your stomach with food, like food that's going to survive, help you survive the training. So, you know, you you load up and then after that, you hit weights from like maybe eight to nine. And then at nine thirty, uh, you'd get on the mats and then you would start off with maybe 15 minutes of skip rope. And then after that, calisthenics to warm up. And then you would start with uh, 1,500 push-ups, 1,500 Hindu squats, 1,500 uh, crunches. With uh, 500, take a break, 500, take a minute break, 500, take a minute break. And you had to go through that. Then you had to wrestle for about an hour and a half. Well, and I then mean, if you're breaking it up into 500, that's easy. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, it, it explains. So, yeah, 1,500. And the thing is, you know, uh, I could tell you for a fact, I, I was never able to 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 do the 1500 but it, they were looking for effort like i never quit that was one of the things that they saw and that they liked about me you know what i mean i still attempted it and sometime by the time because i was there for a month by the time i was finished you know i was able to do all the rolls uh you know how to all the judo style bumps and after the wrestling so you had the gym you had the weight training in the morning then right after that you had the calisthenics then right after that you had to uh you had to wrestle for about an hour and a half. Then you had like a one hour break. And then the second part of the training was a combination of either, uh, depending on the day, Muay Thai wrestling, I'm uh, sorry, Muay Thai uh, boxing, uh, MMA. Um, uh, what else was there? It was another jiu-jitsu. 
Like we had uh, the gentleman, uh, what's the referee? His name is Herb Dean. That's from the UFC. Um, yeah, yeah. All right. He was there teaching the MMA course. They had another specialist that would come in to do the Muay Thai. Then they had another specialist that would be doing the grappling. Then you had one day of yoga. And then they had a gentleman. His name was Ken Yasuda. He was a IFBB uh, uh, pro bodybuilder. And he would be coming in on the Friday for strength and conditioning. And Friday would be a half day. So you'd have the strength and conditioning. You would have some wrestling. And then uh, the second part of the day, you had to run. So they would find either a soccer field or they had this ungodly um stairway i called it the stairway to hell but it was going upwards and you had to run it up and down and if you could do that like uh you had if you were if you were an olympian you could do it 10 times and uh it was just it was just grueling but it was rewarding at the same time because it taught me that things that i thought wasn't cap i was capable of I was able to like if you would have told me before, OK, you're going to go do uh, 1500 push ups. I've been like, you're crazy. And, you know, I had a background in football. I played football up to semi pro. Uh, and, you know, I have even went for an NFL tryout and I've had tough trainings before. But by far, that was the most grueling, consistent piece of training I've ever had. And it was rewarding because when I came back, I changed the whole concept of how my school was run. Because prior to that, I've only had one year of, of, of having a school. I was only a wrestler uh, five years in. So I didn't really have the experience. But uh, I'm a very good motivator. And I, and I work well with, with, with the youth. And uh, I'm a good listener. And I'll watch. And I try to replicate all the different aspects of, of schooling that I've learned on the physical level. So when I came back from the New, uh, from New Japan Dojo, my school was doing things that the other schools locally didn't have a concept of because they never ventured. They were never in those positions. The only way you can get better is if you hang with the best and train with the best and learn from the best. Then you can come back and then teach the best to your students. So that's what I've been trying to accomplish for the last 21 years. You know, that story of the stairwell reminds me, like I remember Ric Flair telling a story about how he trained under originally, I think it's Vern Gagne. Yeah. And he went up and down that stairs in some old terrible building and just at the end of one day, just going, you know, that's it. I'm out of here and going home. And and Gagne knocking on the door. What do you think you're doing? Get back in the stairwell, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> and just the, you know, everybody, like in the class that Flair was with was unbelievable as well, right? Just those yeah. guys that's throwing up in the stairwell and I can only imagine a better you than me, my friend. And it's um, crazy because my, my class consisted of uh, uh, Finn Balor was in that class. Alex Kozlov was there. Rocky Romero was there. Um, the gentleman who won the first um tough enough um he tried to shoot on on kurt angle on tv oh, yeah, he yeah. yeah he was my training partner he was kicking my ass like i have a background in grappling and, I, and i'm a pretty good hand or i felt so uh he was trained by frank shamrock and when it was grappling class i would gravitate to him because he would routinely kick my ass and whereas most people would try to run away from opposition. I, I love to face it. So anytime I got my ass kicked by anybody, in fact, Herb Dean and I we were doing boxing and in and, and the first practice, he left me with a shiner. And I was like, okay, I can't wait till I see him tomorrow. And uh, 
Yeah, so it was Herb Dean. I'm sorry, Herb Dean. It was Daniel Pewter, Alex Kozlov, Rocky Romero, um, uh, Harley Jackson. I think his name was Hartley Jackson was there. Uh, another Australian who ended up wrestling for um, for uh, for NXT. Anyways, it was just an all-star class. So, so just being in that environment uh, just made me a better person inside and outside the ring. I wanted to ask about the North American Championship and, and yeah. how you you ended up for that. And just for context for any of those who are listening right now, the the NWA North American Heavyweight Championship, uh, very much especially during your time as champion, um, in that area, that, and I imagine that you went into the NWA in my head, it's like the Ernie Todd era into the Robert Trovich era. Uh, That's right correct. There. So, That's correct. But for that particular title, it, it really meant, and, and, you know, for guys like Steve Carino, for example, you jump into the North American title, and a few weeks later, or not that much longer uh, down the road, you'd be looking at the 10 pounds of gold. So yeah. that's an investment that the NWA has, has made in you. They've decided you're on that cusp. You're going to hold that championship. You hold it for, I think, over 450-odd days or something. Yeah. A lot of days. How did you get into the North American title scene? And, like, how was the decision made? That's what's going to, you know, Drew's going to be the holder for this. And did you think that there was going to be, um, you know, a real shot that you might be world's heavyweight champion? You know, it's funny. I never even thought about being uh, the world heavyweight champion. It, it just never crossed my mind. Like like I said, uh, all I wanted was a, a, a championship from the NWA and, up to that point, I've already had three, so my bucket list was was fixed. But to, to answer your question, um, the NWA loved my hustle. They loved how I conducted myself. Um, you know, every time uh, we met, I was always in a suit. I was always polite. I was always cordial. They saw my movements. They saw what I was doing with my promotion at that time. It was named NWA Quebec. And um, then I got voted in to the... Um, I'm trying to figure out the the name of it. Uh, the board of directors. Right. So I was, yeah. Uh, Dave Marquez loved my hustle, and uh, and he he asked I to be voted into the board of directors for the NWA, which happened, which meant that I was with the board for at least two years at that time. And um, and it's funny because uh, as soon as that happened, you know, uh, I just felt a little bit conflicted, so I made sure that. Any titles that I had on me were off me because I didn't want it to be that, oh, well, he's on the board of directors and, and blah, blah, blah. Right. So there was a, a point at one of the meetings where uh, they were complaining that the the promoter at the time in Florida ha had the North American title and wasn't giving it up, was being difficult, couldn't find him, couldn't find a possible date to uh, to drop the title. And... You know, the board of directors were just disgusted with it. And they're like, yo, man, you know, what can we do? And I'm just like, why don't you grab the bell from him? Like, just take it. They're like, there's nobody that would, you know, there's no way we could do it. And I said, okay, well, I know that the champion is fighting in this promotion against that person. I'll just go and pick it up. <laughs> and they're like, what? I said, yeah, I'll go pick it up. And then once I get the title, I'll drop it off the next week to whoever you want me to do. And they're like, well, what happens if he doesn't want to give you the title? I'm like, I'm not really concerned about that. So I contacted 
the, the promotion that was hosting the event told them that uh, we would like to, I'd like to be a part of it. How can that happen? And they were like, yeah, cool. In fact, they knew of my background as the British Commonwealth champion. And they're like, yeah, come on down. So I took my own money and I flew down and we made the match. So originally it was supposed to be a, you know, one-on-one, it became a triple threat. And uh, within six minutes I had the belt. So then once I got the belt back and I was going to drop it back, they're like, uh, like, well, what are you doing? What's your game plan? I said, well, okay, well, I, I was going to go to Ireland and England for another tour. And I have a few other dates. They're like, well, why don't you defend the title there? So that's what happened. So then as soon as I got the title, one month later, uh, I'm wrestling I'm wrestling in Ireland and England and defending the title there. Right. Then I came back. Uh, then I de- uh, defended it in, in Tennessee. Uh, then after that, the week after, I was in Vancouver. I defended it on two days. I fought the... Uh, I fought uh, the honky tonk man, which was a funny story. I'll tell you a little bit later with that. He, he felt that, you know, I should have dropped the title to him, but that's, I'll tell you that later. And then, then I started defending it all around Quebec and it was an integral and an important time for the NWA because at that time, as you know, uh, the world titles were being leased to uh, TNA. So there was nobody, uh, there was nobody really representing the NWA uh, without the world title. But me having the North American title, now I'm all over the place and I'm defending that title. And uh, yeah, that's the story. Yeah, it's uh, it was an incredible belt. Like, I mean, even just historically, it, it looked it, historically it was great. There were some great names to even hold that belt. I know it's not the oldest belt in the NWA, but the names that that you get to share that list with are are great. But and and what Barry Windham, Barry Windham, I think had it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jeff Jarrett. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some yeah, solid, uh, solid names there. But yeah, that's a, that's a great story. Jeremy, over to you. Okay, so earlier we talked about how uh, you and and the Sheik were going to have a match, and that ended up not happening. No, and- it did happen. We did have the match. I just, I did, I just didn't shoot on him for the belt. Oh, okay, okay. So, um. Along that lines, though, what was a program or a match that was going to happen that didn't end uh, that ended up not happening that you wish really would have? Well, all right. Outside of the NWA, uh, I was slated to fight Samoa Joe back in two thousand, maybe two thousand six. I was really hyped for that because you know Samoa Joe is one of the premier pro wrestlers in the world and he was a he was an agile big man and at that time i was an agile big man i was able to do like enziguris and vader bombs and cannonballs and drop kicks and stuff like that so i really wanted to test my medal against him so that's that's one um as the world i don't, I don't know there was a couple of people that was in the nwa at the time that i would have loved to to have fought um I'm just trying to figure out who during that timeline that was like, like I would have loved to fought Steve Carino, even though that was never put together. Right. Basically, most of the matches I was supposed to fight, I fought, so I, I didn't have an issue. Okay, you defended that. Uh, uh, was it North American or British Commonwealth on a house show for Impact? Well, it was uh, Impact for NWA TNA. Yeah, it was uh, the North American. It was North American. Yeah, it was North American. And it was against um, ah, jeez, he was the bodyguard for. Um, 
uh, was a tall dude. I can't remember the name. The name is going to come up to me. Carly, Carlito, back in, when, uh, in WWE, when Carlito first got to the WWE, he had a, he had a bodyguard. I can't remember his name. Anyways, we had, we, we had a match there. It's online. Nice. Dave, over to you. Uh, I was looking over uh, some of the championships that you've held, uh, and I do see some tag team championships. Uh, do you prefer just wrestling as a single or sometimes cutting your time in half and not having to just rely on yourself and having a tag team partner? Uh, you know, even when you're in a tag team, you still got to rely on yourself at times, but I understand what you're saying. Uh, it's funny because the majority of my career has been singles and I've, I've attained a lot of championships as a single champion, but my love has always been tag team wrestling. So it was, I always found it weird that my career, I wasn't a, like a multiple tag team champion more so than singles. Cause like I said, I grew up, I grew up loving Hold on. Uh, I think my Amazon package. Anyways, uh, I grew up loving uh, Rock and Roll Express, Midnight Express, um, the Road Warriors, uh, the British Bulldogs, the Heart Foundation. So I always wanted to be in a tag team. So I thought it was just it was just something that was very interesting that I wasn't at the time. But uh, I always loved the look of, of the Bone Collectors, like when you guys would come out and just the the. I don't know the look, the overall package, the the just oozed coolness. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, me and Mike Marston, we had a we had a good run. We were two time uh, uh, Canadian tag team champions, and uh, yeah, it was just really it was it was it was a cool team, and the crowd always reacted to us. We always got good reactions, and uh, we always had an emphasis of tag team moves. I think one of the biggest problems right now with most tag teams is two individual wrestlers working together. Whereas I always gravitated watching teams that, uh, that, that worked as a cohesive unit. You know what I mean? So, you know, like, like the Briscoes and rest in peace uh, for Jay. But um, yeah, I, I just, I was always fans of the teams that looked the same, dressed the same and, and wrestled with tag team moves involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Heart Foundation comes to mind as well for, for those guys. Um, yeah. Jay says, I think you see, if you're looking back for that name, Jesus, a.k.a. Aaron Aguilera. That's it. That's it. That was the gentleman that I fought. Yeah, and, and that was said, the first time. Yeah. Sorry? No, no, go ahead. Yeah, and that was the first time I wrestled at uh, for, for the Impact at the house show, and it was cool because it was the first time I was in a collective with all the stars that you've seen on TV. Like, I've, I've wrestled past or former uh, superstars, but it was the first time that I'm in a locker room and just watching the environment and, and how calm everybody was and the professional aspect. Nobody was screaming and yelling because a lot of times when you go to an indie show, you know what I mean? People don't know how to behave because they've been never taught to behave a certain way. So they think it's just like, I don't know, like a frat house. So upon seeing that, that was something that I felt was very important in my locker rooms. And, you know, just just even just the way how they, they booked the matches and how they had it on the wall. Like I stole the paper like after I waited till like everybody was gone and I just took the paper of how they booked and what, what was the process. And then I tried to emulate it uh, for myself. So that way, uh, two things would happen. Um, we would try to 
try to duplicate what we were seeing and how to conduct themselves as the professionals. And then all the ones, uh, uh, all the wrestlers that would come to our shows would then now take that back to where they go and try to replicate that. So by, 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 um, by, by that, having that done now, it, it improves the quality of the wrestling that's happening in our province. Right. Uh, we got about 10 minutes left with you before you go train. Um, you know what? I can actually go. I can stick around to 730. So we oh, can great. go. Okay. Yeah, fantastic. Um, oh, cool. I, I wanted to ask about uh, this is a bit of a cheeky question, but I think you're you're an honest guy. What's your worst match of all time? Like, if you're like, oh, I stunk up that ring. Like, you know, you've had some good matches. They don't, right. They don't, they don't right. put titles around the waist of guys who can't who can't go. What's the worst one that you did? I want to hear about the honky tonk man. If you're allowed to share that on the, yeah, I can tell that he was a jerk, and it was sad. And I'm, <laughs> I, I, no, he was a jerk. I, I couldn't believe it because I'll, I'll I'll tell you why. My two favorite intercontinental intercontinental champions of all time was Randy Savage, yeah, and the honky tonk man because I, I I loved how they booked him. He never won a fight. A fight. He'd beat all the enhancement guys, and then he would either get disqualified, count out anything to keep the belt and i thought that was so entertaining as a child yep. so now imagine this i'm in vancouver i get to meet one of my i guess not idols but one of my favorites i used to watch because he, he wasn't an idol but you know they always say you know be careful meeting your your, your favorites or your idols so now i walk up to him and of course i i put out my hand and i said hi sir uh, i'm so and so um it's going to be a pleasure and i think i almost said like on honor you know i mean to to work with you he looked me up and down. And he said, you know what? If the NWA had any sense, they would drop this title to me tonight. And I was like, what? <laughs> he goes, yeah. I said, so I said, so how would this work out? He goes, well, you'll lose to me tonight. And then by the end of the tour, we'll figure out how to get the belt off me. <laughs> so I had to look around to see if I was being punked. Like, where's the camera? <laughs> so I told him, no, no, kind sir. We are definitely having this match, and I am walking out as the North American champion. So we divide something. We did like almost like an Eddie Guerrero thing uh, before, like Eddie Guerrero. Not that we're the originator. I'm just saying I had a, a legal object. He got the legal uh, legal object off me, hit me, and uh, and then stuffed it in his pants. Right, and he pins me. So then the referee then says, you know, he's the winner. I said, no, 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 he hit me. Check his tights. And when they, when the referee found the tights, you know. But uh, another thing that had me uh, perturbed was I, uh, I just came back from the New Japan Dojo. So, it, you know, we were talking about different styles and stuff like that. So yeah, just wrestling that style against him he wasn't a fan of not that i was too stiff but even my lockup because the whole time i was at new japan it was all about tweaking your your technical skill sets so everything had to look aggressive and vicious you know without hurting the person that's the art form of pro wrestling to convince people that there's a fight without actually brutalizing the person that you're working with and uh everything i was doing was too stiff and he's like ease up ease up and i'm like oh my god so you know at the end of the day, you're there to entertain the people who pay tickets to watch you perform. Right. So, you know, a lot of these older or former stars are 
just there for a paycheck. And I'm not saying that that was totally the case, but I knew as the younger a competitor, I had to bump like crazy and, and do all kinds of antics to get the match over. So after the match is over and I'm just there sitting on the apron, disappointed that one of my, you know, one of my favorites was just, uh, you know, two fans came up and they're like, we saw what you did. <laughs> we understand what you went through to make that match happen. Thank you. So I was like, okay, someone gets it. And, and it's sad because then I met him two other times and every time I met him, it was just something like, uh, now I'm in somewhere in Ontario and he's wrestling for a promotion and he walks in and he's like, comes in, I'm sitting down minding my own business, comes in and he's like, where's this guy? Where's this guy? And I just turn around and said, hi, hello. And he's like, what? That's what you usually say when you walk into a room and you meet somebody. Hi or hello. And he just gave me the most stink face and he walked out. And I was like, and then we had to have, have a match. So we're having a match and it's a six way and the crowd is getting into it and it's good. And everybody's bumping and he's screaming for it to get over because he wants to go to his hotel to relax. Cause he has a, like a, he has to leave, uh, leave in the morning really, you know, for a flight elsewhere. And I was like, wow. I said, I hope I never get this bitter and disgruntled and unhappy. So that's my story with honky tonk. Like, and it's funny cause I'm not usually one to throw people under, you know, the rug. And I don't think I said anything too vicious, but it's just about perspective. Like who knows, maybe he was having a bad day. Maybe there was an emergency. I don't know, but just based if, on my interaction with him, I was, you know, I was sad. Yeah. If I had a honky tonk doll, I would, I'd definitely sell it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see what they say in the chat here before we go to, I think it's Jeremy. You're up. Uh, Media says, hey, listen, like Drew, and he corrects your name afterwards here. But uh, Drew is right. Honky can be an arrogant prick. Uh, and Jason J. Cow says, Honky doesn't take bumps. That's uh, no, that's his major problem. So, yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was bumping like crazy, like a pinata, like a 300 pound pinata. You, yeah, you got to get live. What is that? You got to get what? I don't know. I don't know what that is, Jay. You got to get live before my finish, brother. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, but, anyway. but I'll tell you what, what one one positive note, which I didn't when he hit me with the shake rattle roll, I giggled. I was like, oh my God, I've seen this. <laughs> You're like, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a couple of times. I fought um, also the hammer, Greg, Greg Valentine. Yeah. And um, I'm wrestling him as, as Soa. And I walk in, and, and it was a change booking because whoever originally wanted to, uh, to fight him, he, he's like, ah, I don't want to fight him. Drew, you fight him. And I'm like, ah, okay. So, and, and ironically, because I knew he was on the card, something just told me, hey, you know, grab one of the DVDs and just watch. So I watched like maybe seven or eight matches of Greg the Hammer without realizing that I was going to, to, to wrestle him that Saturday. So I see him and I see, you know, I come up to him. And I'm like, hey, sir, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, so you got the Abby gimmick. I go, yeah, but I, I don't blade or anything like that. I actually wrestle. And um, he's like, okay. So I'm sitting down now on, on – uh, we're in the locker room, and I'm sitting down on the bench, and I watch him, and he just got his payoff, and he stuffs it in his boot. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's, that's old school. You know what I mean? He's making sure that no one takes his money. Then 20 seconds later, he counts the money again, and then he puts it in his other boot. I'm like, okay, he wants to make sure that the promoter doesn't stiff him. And the promoter was on the up and up, but I'm like, okay, whatever. Then he pulls it out again, and he does this like 15 times straight from boot to boot and i'm like uh, this man has ocd or something like i'm like i this is the guy i have to fight i'm like all right so anyways we get into the match and the match is 
as, as well as it could be, you know, for the situation. But then I remembered um, all the things that he used to do. So then I start positioning myself when he was taking over in the match. I start positioning myself in certain situations where it would make him automatically go into some of the things that he was doing. And as soon as he realized that's what I was doing, it's like the light went on in his eyes and we're back to WrestleMania too. This guy was alive and he's bumping me and he's doing this and doing that. And then he hits me with like a clothesline. I take the bump and I keep my leg up for the figure four. He grabs it and he looks around and I was like, wow, I'm a kid again. How many times have I seen this guy slap the figure four on somebody? Right. And I just reacted like he tried to break my legs. Anyways. That's amazing. I, I love that story. Uh, Jeremy, over to you. Okay, so we've talked about your, your worst match. What was your best match or feud? Oh, geez. I had a couple. In the NWA, uh, most definitely was with Finn Balor. We had a match in 2004. I think it was October 25th, if I'm correct. And it was in uh, Wales. And, and Yeah, we were in Wales. Small little club. When I say small, we had to dress like in the in the alley, like no th the dressing room for like 20 wrestlers was no bigger than like a large closet. And uh, we're getting ready for this place. And prior to this, we were talking about, OK, what are we going to do? Because it was a it was a it was a it's for the British Commonwealth Championship. And it's funny because Andre Baker comes up to me. And here's a little story about Andre Baker, like uh Good man, good promoter, hell of a wrestler, one of the greatest coaches of all time. But apparently he went up to, uh, and I say apparently, because I, I don't know, you know. Apparently he went up to Steve Carino and, and basically very politely told him that uh, he's dropping the world title today to one of his guys. And, and Carino allegedly slipped off the ladder and knocked himself out and, you know, wasn't the champion. So I knew... That, you know, he had that, 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 you know, that reputation. <laughs> so it's really how you're going to, you know, how you're going to react to him. So he comes up to me and he's like, we, we want, uh, we want Finn to win the belt. I'm like, no problem. Just once I get it before the tour leaves. And because I think I was so calm and cool about it and nonchalant prior to that, I've heard the story before, you know what I mean? He looked at me, acknowledged it and said, all right, you know, this guy's willing to work. Right. And then, you know, then he hooked me up later and I'll explain after. So we're having this match. I, I'm going to drop the title off to Finn and um, we're walking around and there's like a, a like a balcony type of situation on top. And uh, he's like, oh, wouldn't it be crazy if I jumped off that? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. So we're having this no disqualification match and there's like about 200 people, but it's really like like a fight club type of vibe. And we're going at it, and the crowd is, is going off. They haven't seen this stuff, all these big moves. And because I trusted uh, Finn and he trusted me, I told him, go stiff, go. So the kicks were coming in, sweats flying off my body. It was just crazy. And now we're brawling into the crowd, and I can't find him. I go back into the ring and I see him on this balcony thing, like kind of measuring what, and I'm like, Oh my God, he's going to jump. He's going to jump. He's going to jump off that thing into the ring. I'm going to die. 
I said, if I, if I, if I leave, like my first incident was flight. It was like, I got to get out of here. But if he jumps, he dies. But if I catch him, we might both die. I'm like, oh my God. And this is all happening in a span of like a nanosecond. This guy flies off, flying body press, hits me. We hit the ground. The crowd erupted, erupted. And this is where experience comes in because that should have been the end. That The pop that we got from the crowd was so loud. Anything else happens, it wouldn't be the same thing. So just to prove that, I kicked out at like two and a half. The crowd reacted, but our finish didn't measure to what that pop did. So the finish was like a bicycle kick, a nice little cue sequence. Bicycle, and he pinned me and he did get the pop, but it wasn't bigger than that pop. So that taught me, learn, that taught me, you know, when you, when you book a match, you got to really feel the crowd. And yeah. if, if the crowd, if you got the crowd, that's it. It's like, no, yeah. it's no different than a comedian on stage and you hit him with a big joke and they're laughing, laughing, laughing. And then you try to hit him with a joke that's just not as funny. So anyways, that was one of my best. Fighting him was always good. I never had a problem. Him, Paul Tracy, also another uh, Irish yeah. uh, wrestler and a great coach. Uh, those were nights off. Okay. Dave, what do you got for us? Uh, I was, uh, I had noticed that um, you had wrestled uh, PCO. What do you think of his comeback and his new character? I mean, he he was always a great wrestler, but he never really seemed to hit. And and now that he's doing his his uh, perfect creation character, I mean, it's it's wild to me how his his career has has just blossomed again. Yeah, yeah. No, kudos to him because. One thing about him that I always noticed is that he was constantly trying to evolve the characters, trying to figure out what kind of characters will, would get over. And if one didn't work, then he'd go back to the drawing board, work on it, tweak it, and, and stuff like that. Also, uh, I think it's amazing that the fact that, uh, you know, he had a second chance, a second opportunity. And because he's such, cause, uh, he's consistent as a worker and he's willing to, you know, do things that, that, that shows how much he has a love for this passion, uh, a love for this business and a passion for it. It transcends and people see that. And, and now he has that fan base. Now he has that following now. And it's cool because um, what you may not know is that he would come to the school from time to time before his ROH matches just to get a, a tune up to work out a little bit with some of my guys. Now he has his own ring. And so, did, you know, but he would travel like about an hour and a half to get to my school and, you know, grab a couple of my guys and just work on stuff. Or even if he wasn't grabbing guys, just work, you know, working out stuff. And uh, yeah, no, I'm totally happy for him. At first I didn't understand the gimmick or I didn't understand why the crowd got into the gimmick. But the more I saw it, the more I understood it. And it's not even for me to understand or the guys in the back. It's, it's for the crowd. Once the crowd gets it, you know what I mean? Um, that's where that's where everything works out. So I'm I'm happy for that, dude. I'm, I'm glad for him. You know, to that point, like I didn't originally get it either. I actually had to search out a video that explained how he was brought back to life by his, you know, basically the evil scientist who shocks him to life like a Frankenstein monster. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, he's he's great. It's amazing to see the renaissance he's had in the last few years. He won the Crockett Cup a few years ago with uh, won the Crockett Cup. I think he won a 
the uh, the ROH tag team, the ROH triple, or maybe the triple tag team. He won the ROH World Heavyweight. In fact, he came to the school and uh, and spoke to my students while he had the when it, while he was still uh, the champion. He brought the belt and and answered all their questions and stuff like that. It's, you know, class act. That's great. So you're you're wrestling now. And, uh, you know, you, you generally, I think, sort of stay in the Ontario, Quebec, sort of maybe northern U.S. area when you're, when you're, that's your home base, so to speak. I know you travel all over the place. Um, yeah. But where are, you, where are you wrestling now? And, and just for Sam in the, in the chat here, tell us about uh, Torture Chamber Pro Wrestling Dojo and the shows that you guys are putting on. All right. So, yeah, I do wrestle in the Ontario, Quebec for right now. Uh, I was never comfortable wrestling in the States unless I had a, a, a green card or, you know what I mean, permission or whatever the case is. I, I you know, going for trials, like I, I wrestled for ROH um, during the Winter War uh, back in 2000, maybe 15. Uh, but other than that, I try to I try to stay local because I just don't want to issue you know, you hear too many wrestlers get banned for 10 years for wrestling in the States and stuff like that when they don't have the paper. So I try to avoid that. Um, Torture Chamber Pro Wrestling Dojo, it, it, it's, you know, we run some shows and it's not just our students, but it's usually our alumni, the guys who just graduate and some local Quebec stars, you know, and we get together and we do a show once a month in my hometown, which is cool now because after the pandemic, I wasn't going to run any shows because I was like, ah, it, not stress, but the work that's involved to do it. And, uh, you know, I'm all about attention to detail and I nitpick on everything. And I'm like, do I really want the stress? And two of my, um, of my former students who wrestle now and, uh, Johnny Taco and Will, Wilson Colas, Wilson Colas is one half of the NWA, uh, tag team, uh, champions. And they'd be like, you guys, you got to run shows. 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 So I'm like, fine, I'm going to do it. But if I do it, I'm only going to do it in my hometown. So our first show was straight out of chamber in October. And uh, I've been blessed. The last three shows have been full houses. And uh, the one thing that everybody um, are, is talking about is how um, the storylines are entertaining and they make sense. They're logical. The wrestlers look like wrestlers. You're not going to see any guys wearing torn up jeans and sneakers. Uh, the presentation, we try to ball with a budget. You know what I mean? We don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars. We don't have major sponsors, but the ring looks professional. Our commentator, uh, not commentator, the um, MC of the night, a gentleman's name is Navid. Um, he comes in always looking very smart, looking neat. Um, just the presentation of the show. You know, you don't get that indie feel like i try to replicate what i saw at nxt i had an opportunity to be an agent backstage for two of their shows um when i went down to uh, orlando uh, as a guest coach for the wwe for the performance center so when i went down there um they liked and respected my work so much when i was training the people that they gave me an opportunity to be an agent and being an agent meant like uh being in the back and giving the minutes so while the referee is in the ring with the airpiece i'm the gentleman in the back that's giving him the countdown five minutes left four minutes left three minutes left so he can convey it to the competitors inside the ring or if there's a commercial then tell them okay it's a commercial now or you know what i mean or, or whatever whatever information that he needed to know. And then I would have uh, Norman Smiley right next to me and he'd be like taking down the 
information to send it to uh, Triple H. So, you know, who won, how they won, how they conducted themselves. Did they listen to the agent? Because prior to the match, I would have to go to the two competitors, tell them the instructions that uh, the NXT booking wanted, uh, give them any ideas or insight if they needed. So that was a... That that was uh, that whole experience was very interesting because you know I always pride myself as a very good coach. I am considered uh, one of the top coaches in my area, and I know I'm good. And I say that with confidence and I, but being humble. But you always want to know how good you are. It's it's almost like the equivalent of you're a you're a coach for university. You've won you've won the, the the Orange Bowl. You won the Sun Bowl. You won the Cotton Bowl. But now you get a call from the Dallas Cowboys. And now they want you to come up and, and train some of their offensive linemen there. So, you know, you, you level up. So, but it, it was a great experience. It's eye opening. And all those places, whether I went to the New Japan, uh, going to TNA, uh, wrestling at ROH, going to the tryouts, going to the performance center, I always took bits and pieces just to add to my repertoire in order to be able to, to teach, you know, uh, my students. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh Cool. Jeremy, I think you're up and did I didn't skip you, did I, Dave? No. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Jeremy, I think you're up, man. Okay, so speaking of experiences and, and, and traveling, uh, tell us a little bit about your time in, in UK's Hammerlock. That was a cool experience. Uh, how I got on that tour, um, I used to go to a, a gym to work out, and it was the same gym that the WWE stars would go when they were in town. And uh, I had an opportunity to run into Eddie Guerrero, God bless the dead. And I spoke to him and uh, he was impressed with the fact that I didn't come off like a mark. I wasn't. In fact, I was inquiring about all um, his history as Black Tiger in New Japan. So that that caught his attention. And basically, I asked him, what can I do? to get to the next level, not necessarily WWE, but I told them specifically, I want to go to Europe. I want to go to Japan. I want to wrestle. Cause I felt like I had to go through the same like route that almost Mick Foley did. I wasn't the biggest guy. I wasn't the strong. I wasn't more muscular. I didn't have that, like that typical, you know, body, but I felt like my body of work will compensate in the fact that I, I'm very good at interacting with the crowd and I know how to work the mic. I knew I had some skill sets that, that could, have me you know get to the next level and he just told me it's no different than you know shopping for a job man send your cv everywhere you know it goes at that time you know uh you the internet use the internet contact people email people send them you know matches and one cool thing that i got from um i got from uh, one of the bushwhackers uh he the, whichever one that was running uh in puerto rico he said, don't send me videos of you beating people. I want to see how you take a beating, how you sell, yeah. how you give. Because wrestling is two people working together. But a lot of people uh, will send video of the, just their highlights. But they want to see how you sell. They want to see how you bump. They want to see how you work the crowd. They want to see your psychology. And some of the best times people can see your wrestling psychology is when you're in the defensive. So... I remember uh, thanking Eddie and then just sending out film that I had and I contacted Andre Baker and uh, I asked Andre Baker. And the first thing he said is like, you know who you remind me of? And I said, yeah, Abdullah the butcher, because all <laughs> the, 
all the old school wrestlers that I ran into from Smith Hart to uh, uh, one of the Ladukes, not Joe Laduke, but uh, his tag team partner, all of them were saying, you remind me of a young Abby when he was in shape and he was going out and stuff like that. And I didn't know how I felt about that. But I said, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, Abdullah the Butcher. He's like, do you, have, do you have Abdullah the Butcher gear? And I didn't, but I told him, yes. I'm like, yeah. He goes, okay. Well, um, listen, I don't know if you're good or not. Because I asked, well, you know, accommodations, pay, stuff like that. He goes, we could provide accommodation. But uh, as far as pay, you know what I mean? See this as, as like a work experience, you know, like a, you know, intern. So I was like, all right. So I had to figure out how to get a flight to there. And now, since I lied to this gentleman, I got to figure out how to get some Abdullah gear. So luckily... Uh, the person uh, who did my boots and premier top boot maker for wrestling, uh, a gentleman named Gus, um, Sami Zayn gets his boot. Everybody, every who's who in in Montreal get like gets the boots from this dude. So I'm like, oh, sh I'm in trouble now. I got to go get some like you know the tip boots and stuff like that. So as I walk to his store to go downstairs in the display, I see like these these curled boots. And I'm like, how is that possible? So I asked him, he goes, oh, those are for like circus, you know, circus entertainers and stuff like that. So I ordered that. I had a friend whose uh, girlfriend was the seamstress. I got the, the pants and everything. I got the headgear, all that stuff um, scrounged together at that time. Because at that time, I, I don't even think I was working. I think I was just wor like working on like I was getting paid just only on wrestling. Got down there, got to, to got to Heathrow Airport. Wasn't even sure he was going to show up. He shows up with a couple of people. We get into the van. We go to um, Kent. Uh, we go to Kent in England. And my first match was in front of 500 people in this big hall against uh, Finn Balor, uh, Fergal Devitt, and Paul Tracy against me and this other guy in a tag team. And uh, that match went well. And then when Andre saw the reaction of how the crowd liked, and I was a baby face because since we were in England and Paul Tracy and Fergal Devitt, Finn Balor are both Irish. They were the, they were the villains. Wow. So, you know, I, I was tagged with one of the local uh, wrestlers and the crowd exploded, exploded, exploded. And then when it came to intermission to, to do pictures, the lineup was like there was about 50 people lined up to take pictures with me. So when Andre Baker saw the lineup and saw people wanted to take pictures with me, he came up to me and goes, listen, after the cost of the, the camera, we split it half, half. So that night, even though I wasn't going to get paid, he was charging like 10 pounds, 10 pounds is like $25. Yeah. So $25 uh, split in half, you know, $15 times 50. I made my payoff and that's how I got paid. And then, and then the first night, I was supposed to stay over at one of the wrestlers' house. Now, this wrestler just came back from the Middle East um, from, from, from war. And this guy had, like, PTSD. And this guy was screaming and yelling and, and, and all kinds of nonsense. And I'm here in the house with this guy in a sleeping bag. And I'm like, I hope this guy doesn't sleepwalk with his gun. So I, I told Andre, I said, Andre, you got to get me out of that. So you put me up in a hotel. Uh, I got paid off. Uh, every night of uh, the pictures and because I did so well with those guys um, two things happened uh, at the end of the tour it was a one week tour 
I took them out for dinner, Paul Tracy and Fergal Devon, just to thank them for making me look so good. They had their own promotion in Ireland, and they asked if I would come down to Ireland. I said, yeah, if you come down to Montreal. So that's how we started to connect and become friends. And uh, Andre uh, liked my work so much, he said, okay, uh, in a couple of months, I'm going to call you back for a two-week tour. I said, all right, cool. He goes, and I'm going to put the UK belt on you. And I was like, wow. So that's how I got the UK. So coming back to the, the second tour, it was two weeks now. And once again, he asked me to drop the title to uh, Fergal, which I did. And as I dropped the British Commonwealth to him, I then later picked up the UK. And then that's how I became the UK, the British Commonwealth. And back home, I was the Quebec champion. So right. I was, I was, I believe I was the first NWA triple crown champion before the Sheik. The Sheik later said that he was the world, the North American, and then another regional belt. But I think I beat him by two oh, years. Oh, yeah. Cahagas. Uh, Cahagas claims that, right? Uh, yeah. And, and, and they all did. World. Yeah. Yeah. They all they did. All, but, but not before I did. Right. I could be wrong. Check the timelines, but, but that's it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, working for Andre was cool. Uh, it was, yeah, that was a cool situation. Let me ask before I throw it to you, Scooby. Did you ever meet Abdullah? And if so, did he sign off on it? <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, first, he heard about me. He heard about me. And somebody asked him, and it was on a radio um, interview and uh, or a podcast interview. He goes, yeah, I've seen his work. I love his work. He's doing good things. And then I met him. Because uh, he came down to Montreal because he was about to receive an award at a promotion that I was wrestling at. Yeah. So I walked up to him and I say, hey, Abby, how you doing? And this and that. And he's like, uh, so he goes, kid, are you as good as me? I'm like, you know, once again, trying to be respectful. I'm like, I can't be better than the original. He goes, then what's the point of you doing it? You know, he goes, if you're going to do something, do something as the best. If I was the best, you got to be better than me. And I'm like, okay. And that was it. So he was, he was real cool about that. And uh, so on the both occasions, so he signed off on it. He was okay. And, uh, and, it's, and it's crazy because I was able to do him some more justice because uh, Vice TV did, had two uh, programs, um, Tales of, uh, what's it Tales called? Tales of Territories and uh, Dark, Dark Side of the Ring. Yeah. And, and, both, and both those shows, I had an opportunity to, uh, to be Abdullah the Butcher in those stories. Cool. Yeah, that's amazing. Awesome. Dave, over to you. Uh, you have about 10 minutes left. Okay. Um, I've, I watched some of your wrestling on YouTube, and, I, I mean, you can hang with basically anybody, but do you prefer a specific type of wrestling? I mean, th there's – I mean, I, I watch MLW, and, I mean, it's it's a buffet of wrestling. You have your your – high flyers they even have some uh garbage matches stuff like that is, is there a specific type of wrestling in that you've experienced all these different types of wrestling in all these different areas is there a specific type of wrestling that you prefer or do you just basically go with the flow and whatever's needed at wherever you are you you uh, basically adapt well yeah, yeah, no. Like I said, you got to read the crowd, and but you still got to bring what's what's original. Like when I went to New Japan Pro Wrestling, we were taught their style so you can understand their style, but then incorporate yours. 
a lot of people have this uh, misconception that if I go to New Japan, I got to show them strong style. Why? There's already 50 wrestlers on the roster that does that. They're looking for an exception to the rule that can work within the rules. So I've been in hardcore feds before, and I would integrate my style. Like, I like wrestling. I, I like wrestling. It's it's the funniest thing because if you look at the majority of my career, I'm more of a like a brawler power but I've always loved the technical side. The, the the emphasis at my school is technical wrestling, a lot of catch-based wrestling, a lot of reversals and transitions. And you can look on YouTube on at my school, some of the, the variations that I teach. I like that. And I don't incorporate it a lot for the simple fact that a lot of people that I wrestle can't do that. You know what I mean? And I don't mean that in a bad way. So I try to work they're positives. So if they're positives, like what's the point of me putting somebody in a quarter Nelson if they can't get out of it? Do you understand? Yeah. So depending who I'm wrestling and how I'm wrestling and what is the story that we want to tell to help enhance the show, I'll go with. So like I said, I, I tend to brawl more, which is funny because when I was a kid, I hated brawling. I didn't, I couldn't appreciate like just say the Sheik or Abdullah the Butcher. Like all they do is punch and kick, or or even Bruno Sammartino. Like there's some point. But then as I, I I I got more knowledge and I understood, and it's an art form. You know, watching Brody and Stance and punch and kick. It, first of all, that will tire you out quicker than anything else. And second, there's a science to it. So I started to learn and to appreciate that and try to integrate it. But uh, depending on what's what's needed, I will do and adapt. But for the most part, I always prefer like one of my favorite wrestlers is is is, is, is Regal. I love watching Regal. I love watching Dynamite. I just saw a match with Regal versus um, versus Davy Boy Smith. Uh, I think WCW back in '93. It's a masterclass. Like I love that stuff. I love watching. Two guys who could wrestle their ass off. I could sit there and watch that all day. He's amazing. Cool. You, you know that brawling style too. I was, I was very lucky because the first match I ever remember seeing was Abdullah the Butcher versus Bruiser Brody on TV out of uh, Al Tomko's All Star Wrestling, which was an NWA out west, right? Yeah. And I know, I know, Abby and Bruiser were also out near you a lot of the time in the Montreal area as well. But it is an art form, and it's tough to do. Listen, yeah. man, this is this has been amazing. I know you got to go in a couple of minutes. Do you, I'm going to put your social media stuff across the bottom of the of the screen? But do you want to pitch where you are on the web and what's going on with uh, with you in the uh, in the promotion, the school? Yeah. So yeah. So if anybody wants to find out about the school, on Instagram, it's Torture Chamber Pro Wrestling. The school is TC Pro Dojo on Instagram. On Facebook, you can find us, uh, Torture Chamber Pro Wrestling Dojo. And the wrestling promotion is called uh, the World's Wrestling's Most Dangerous Group. Uh, so you can check that out. Uh, the information is going to be at the bottom. Uh, we're having new classes uh, in February. So already some students started to come in. We take about 10 to 12 students uh, per session every six months. Um, our next show is going to be uh, listed soon on our shows. Is Showcase 21. Uh, we like to wrestle. Uh, our events are on Sunday, so it gives an opportunity for my wrestlers to wrestle at other places, so it's not always conflicted. It's afternoon show, and uh, people love to come check it out. I just want to give you guys a shout-out. Thank you very much for giving me an opportunity to uh, 
tell some some stories, some stories I've never told before, and to also be able to promote uh, my 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 promotion and school. And I, I'd like to wish you guys all the very the best with this podcast. And uh, I, I I demand that I come back again. Absolutely, your 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 demand was is will be heated. Yeah, absolutely yes. heated, sir. Listen, for those who don't know, and I like to say this just about, I, I, we even talked online in like a year and a half. Last time it was like we couldn't hear each other. It was brutal. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, obviously technology has improved. But, you know, the reason that NWA Gold exists because is because of two people, like that it just didn't sputter out. You're one and Jake Howe's the other. And I didn't know that. There, yeah, there's like 75 belt bios on my site right now. And it's because you jumped in early and said, hey, you want to talk about the NWA British Commonwealth title? I also got the Canadian Tag Team titles, and it just, hey, wow, this is amazing. And, yeah. you know, you're you're obviously a great uh, teacher to your students, and, and I appreciate what you've meant to, to NWA Gold. And I know Jay really appreciates your presence with the Alliance as well. So thank you for coming on, man. And yes. enjoy the rest of your evening. Be safe. Be well. Best to you and yours, and we'll talk to you soon. All the best, guys. Guys, have a good night. All right. Thank, thank you. you.